Hello and welcome to Ask Mama Amy, a podcast promoting practical advice and resources for strong mothers. I'm your host, Amy Shao, single mom and estate planning attorney and founder of Shao Law. Hi, everybody. We're so excited to have Kristen Roberts today with us. Uh, I've known Kristen for many, many years, and we're so excited to have her. Um, I've known her since law school, but now she's a successful and established business and intellectual property attorney. I can't wait to introduce her to you. So Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm really excited to be here. This is going to be fun today. Uh Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm Kristen. I am the founder and managing attorney of Trestle Law APC here in San Diego. I um, picked the name Trestle Law because I didn't want to name it after myself. Um, I'm an intellectual property attorney, and so I recognize the value of kind of establishing a brand that's outside of yourself. Um, A trestle, just in case anybody's wondering, is like a bridge um, that's used to support kind of our traverse, like large ravines, um, typically used by trains. So, um, that was kind of the idea that I had in mind for when I'm naming my practice, um, was that we support business owners. But what I like to say is that we build our clients a bridge from their brands to their bank accounts. So we really help our clients, um, not just develop the found the right Uh, intellectual property foundation, but then we also help them understand how to leverage that intellectual property once it's been um, properly secured. Uh, So that's really what we do. I did not go to law school thinking I was going to run a law firm. I went to law school thinking I was going to be an entertainment law attorney, and um, I'm a singer. I I have a degree in opera, so I'm a classically trained opera singer with a degree in music. I was always like, oh, well, on my way to becoming Beyonce. I should learn how to negotiate my own contracts. So I went to law school thinking I was going to entertainment law. And then I got a job um, or, you know, an internship during the summer um, between my first and second year doing working in the entertainment industry. And I really didn't like it. And I was like, oh, no, what did I do? So I um, worked with Joanna, who's actually a, a colleague of both of ours. Um, she's been a long term, long time mentor of mine. And she taught me about trademarks. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And it doesn't require that I do it, you know, from LA, right? There's not just like one industry or LA or New York. So I um, kind of had my eye on that for practicing law, but uh, didn't really, you know, have the opportunities for it. So I went into my law practice as a civil litigator um, for the first three years of my career. And then I left my last law firm and started working on my own and built out, um, actually built out my last law firm's IP department. They didn't have one. So I started litigating trademark infringement cases and doing filings and things like that for them. And uh, once I left that firm and started my own practice, I just kind of continued into it. And now we're a full service IP firm. (laughs) That's so awesome. I love it. I I didn't know you were classically trained opera singer. Yeah, I sing in five languages. Yeah, fun fact, five languages. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, that's awesome. And I love the transition from artist to a lawyer. And I love what you just said about Trestle Law is the bridge to the bank accounts. Yeah, from your brand to your bank account. Yes. And we know so many, uh, you know, artists may not, you know, it's just like, it's really important to how to translate that and transform that into a sustainable business that could feed their families, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I didn't have a, a family. I didn't have any kids when I started my practice. Um, 
almost eight, nine, eight years ago. Um, and, and so, you know, it was, it was a lot easier. I don't want to say easier, um, not necessarily easier. It was just less things to focus on. Right. So, you know, when you don't have kids, you focus on yourself and your partner and, you know, that's, it's a pretty, um, and, and it's pretty minimal in terms of like the things that are kind of grabbing your attention. Uh-huh. And then when you have kids, I, I sort of got really focused on like, okay, these are the things that I'm not going to be doing. I'm not going to be litigating full-time anymore. Um, because your schedule as a litigator, as some of you know, um, who are litigators, it becomes very beholden to the courts and what the court wants you to do and where they want you to be and when you need to file things by. And so um, it's not very flexible in terms of being able to say, I'm going to take four months off to have a baby or, um, you know, (laughs) so I sort of had, once we decided to have kids, I sort of had to start designing my life and practice and the way that I approached law a little bit differently. Um, and so, but, but it was, it's all like, it's all good stuff. I think moms are some of the best, strongest, most powerful people out there because we have to be right. Like we have so many things pulling our focus and time. We have to learn where we can like grab those pockets to be super efficient and just get it done, you know? Yes. And you're a super mom. I just met your lovely daughter the other day. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your mom life. How do you even um, struggle? <laughs> I know. I have a, <laughs> so I have a almost three and a half year old, um, Billy, and um, she is a firecracker, just like her mom. <laughs> She's so adorable. You know, right? Because the boys were at this party we were at. The boys were, there were two boys. One of them was your son playing. And Billy came over to them and was like, I want to play with you. And they're like, no, you're too little. And she gets up and like puffs up herself and goes, I'm a big girl. I can play with you. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. Like her mom. Just like barging in, you know, full in a china closet. But I, I do love that about her. Just fearless, you know, um, I, I definitely keep trying to encourage that, but it can also be, it's exhausting, you know, having kids and running a business and doing all of the things I often do feel like I'm doing none of them. Well, um, you know, and despite what people say, right. You hear people telling you, Oh, wow, you're doing so many things. You're so great. And you're like, Oh, if you only knew, like I didn't make, I might, I was the last to pick up my kid at daycare today, you know, that kind of oh, thing. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there's never really like a true balance, right? There's always no. a juggle. <laughs> never. I, I think that there's a phrase that I, that I usually like to quote and it's balance is like BS basically, right? Like um, I use the swear word, but, <laughs> like but, uh, but you know, like it, it really is. It's, it's not about balance. It's about just making sure that you get the things done that are like necessary to get done. And sometimes things are going to fall short. Sometimes you're going to need extra support from your partner. If you, if you're lucky enough to have a good supportive active partner. Um, and you know, sometimes that means your relationship is not like in the forefront. Sometimes it means that you have to put all of your energy into your kid. And sometimes it means you really need to focus at work. And I I've started to get better at feeling more okay doing that. Um, because the other way of doing everything, being everything to everybody is not healthy for me. Yeah. Yeah. So that was what I was going to ask you. How do you uh, at least achieve somewhat of a balance uh, out of everything? Like what is your one secret sauce? If you could tell maybe your daughter in the future or like in, or, or just something you could share with our local community. We want to really bring some wisdom here. So what would you yeah. So I would say the one thing that's really helped me is being very strategic with my time and my calendar. 
um, and also being very um, clear about my boundaries and expectations. And so, um, you know, for example, I calendar everything out 18 months in advance and not just like, and not like, oh, on this day, I have this appointment, but I calendar out things that I want to strategize. So if I have a marketing plan that I want to roll out by this time, I put, okay, this week is just going to be on creative. This three, three days are going to be focused on this. My administrative work is going to on this week, every other week, right? So you set things so that you really can see in the course of 18 months, you really don't actually have as much time as you think, right? So that kind of helps me see things big picture and also helps me recognize patterns. Um, and then also, and, and this is not to say that I'm like perfect at this, right? This is sort of a done is better than perfect sort of situation. Um, and then I have my regular daily calendar where I've got like, oh, on this time, but I am, I am trying to sort of block calendar things now. Um, so I am trying to get more um, intentional about my time instead of just being like, I just let things come. Like I'm go because I want to be go with the flow. But um, when you have things like lessons and appointments and visits and, you know, uh, activities in your kid's life that you want to be present for your work life has to reflect time. You you have to factor that in. And if you just are like, I let everything fly at me, you're going to eventually run into a situation where you're going to miss something. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see it coming. And you're going to be like, ah, you're all buried. Right. So I think that's probably the best um, tip that I can give if it's like, if I boil it down to one thing, it's like time and intentionality about how you structure and block off your time. Even if it feels like a burden to take the time to do it, it really is a worthy investment in my opinion. Yeah. And what I see that's so awesome is you make it a priority for your daughter, like make it a point so that you are present for her. Well, I only have, you know, I only have a limited window of time with her every day. So like right now I'm in my office, um, you know, dungeony looking as it may be, uh, it is an office and I am, you know, outside the home. Mm -hmm. And so my kid goes to preschool every day. So she's there from eight in the morning until five o'clock at night, sometimes five 30. And so that, you know, and and she goes to bed at seven 30, eight o'clock at night. So I mean, really only talking a few hours a day, you know, in the morning and then in the evening that I get to spend with her. And so have to make those, those hours count. And then on the weekends, it's like, we're trying to cram it all in. Um, And so that, so that is another thing I would say is I've intentionally reserved weekends for myself since starting my business. So I don't work on the weekends and I never have, and I, I never will. Um, So don't be sending me emails on the weekends. If you, (laughs) I have a legal problem. I'm like, it can wait till Monday. Yeah, the self-care is so important so we could show up the best for the world, right? For our clients. Yeah. I mean, if you're pouring from an empty cup, I mean, it's you're not gonna do your best legal work if you are if you don't have, you know, the the recharge time for yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's a great segue to many of the entrepreneurs out there. Now, your work is helping so many entrepreneurs um, from <laughs> beginning stage, from startup all the way to a successful, sustainable business, what would you say are some of the common mistakes or common obstacles that entrepreneurs are facing in 2020? Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm an intellectual property attorney. Um, and so um, my focus tends to be on that side of things because as we move into the digital space more and more and more, right? Like there's businesses now that just flat out don't have a brick and mortar location, right? You can't go visit 
some businesses now. Some businesses are exist entirely online. And I think that there tends to be this idea that protecting their intellectual property assets, those intangibles, um, doesn't need to happen until they've reached a certain point. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'm not going to worry about that until I've made more money. And that can sometimes be an okay way of doing things. But if you're in a crowded space, if you're in a field where, um, you know, there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of new stuff coming out and you keep your, and you take your eye off of that for years, you can wake up one day and realize, oh my gosh, there's all these people doing, you know, infringing on my intellectual property. And while you have common law rights to that stuff, um, sometimes those common law rights aren't very broad and they're not very good at protecting you fully the way registrations and things like that. So having a plan for your IP early on is important. And the other thing that I really look at is they tend to, most entrepreneurs tend to pigeonhole their IP into like individual boxes. Like I have trademarks, I have copyrights, I have patents, instead of looking at it as a, instead of taking a holistic approach to it and looking at it as an overall overarching portfolio. I own intellectual property. Okay, how do I use that intellectual property in my business? And what am I trying to do with it to have it work for me? And then you can start planning, okay, well, do I need these registrations for these things? Do I need to start protecting these things? So that's kind of the one thing that I I see a lot of new entrepreneurs doing. Um, They go, well, I don't want to work with an IP attorney until I've made this much money. Or I don't want to like strategize my intellectual property because it doesn't matter yet kind of thing, right? So I I think that's a mistake. Yeah, so it sounds like as soon as they have some type of idea or as soon as they start considering doing business, that could be a good time to talk to you. Yeah, it could be a great time to start strategizing, right? Like, okay, well, what are you going to be doing? What is your business dealing in? I mean, it's a little different if if you come to me and you're like, I sell, you know, widgets, I sell physical objects, and you just have a brand name for it, and that brand name isn't very strong, you might not need to do a trademark, right? Um, so, it, but that, don't you want to know that information before you start building it out, right? So wouldn't you want to have someone tell you, ooh, that name is really descriptive. It's it's going to be really hard to enforce it. Um, you know, I always tell people like, I can get you a trademark for pretty much anything, but like, is it going to be a valuable trademark? Mm. And yeah. And sometimes the answer is no, you know, <laughs> yes. or, or the cost to enforce it is going to be so high that it's not worth your energy and effort and time to put a plan. Right. So like you may have like this idea, like my business, if you're making six million dollars a year, ten million dollars a year, you might have more of a budget to start policing things, to start sending out cease and desist letters. But if that's where you're starting your business from, where you're picking a brand that's very crowded and lots of people are using the term to describe what they're doing too. And, and you're like, well, I don't want them using that name. And it's like, okay, well, we need to send 17 cease and desist letters out. Um, start, we need $3,000 a month from you to start handling this stuff. People are going to be like, whoa, like I can't afford that. I don't want to do that. So having that strategy early on, just like talking to a CPA, just like talking to a business attorney to help you structure your entity before you start moving those pieces can be really, really helpful. And you just pointed out a very valuable point. That's the difference between somebody just going off on legal zoom or something, doing a trademark on their own versus the whole strategizing because they may get a trademark, but it's not going to do anything for them. Yeah. Yeah. And a strategy session, 
And that kind of thing is a relatively low investment. You know, people always look at it from a, you know, oh, I don't want to spend that money now because I haven't made it yet. I haven't run into problems. There's this idea that like working with lawyers is best if you wait until there's a problem. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but and we all know that's right. We all know really costly. (laughs) That's the thing, right? Like people go, oh, I don't need that right now. I'll call you if I run into an issue. Okay, well, it'll be three times as expensive <laughs> when you totally. run into an issue. Totally. Um, so, and so, I always say it's harder to unwind the ball of string, absolutely. right? Like it's always harder to like try to get it back. Like once you've sort of made it into this mess, it's hard to like untangle it like, once it's been made, you know? Yeah. Yeah. More people need to hear this and <laughs> just get it right from the get go. Um, and so what is this big fuss about NFTs? Yeah. So that actually leads a really great, really great question. Really great lead in because we are seeing a lot of these, like I mentioned, companies going totally digital. And then we're seeing them start to step into the metaverse, meaning, you know, web three platforms and technologies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And people are going, oh, I want to, I want to get in and do an NFT project. And we're seeing these uh, project developers stepping on the toes of intellectual property owners. A really good example is the most recent lawsuit that was filed by Nike against a company called StockX. Mm -hmm. Um, And StockX is a really cool company. They are like a sneaker platform where you can go, let's say you want to buy a really expensive pair of Nikes and you can't find them anywhere, right? Like some Air Jordans or something. Somebody has them and they're willing to sell them. You would go to StockX and be able to buy those collector sneakers on the platform. And what StockX did was they were like, Let's take this a step further and instead of, and save our users, our members from the shipping costs, right? Because if you buy the sneakers, you expect those sneakers will be shipped to you. Mm. Um, And so what StockX did was they go, well, let's take this a step further and do something even cooler. And you make an NFT project where, and their project is called Vault. So the Vault NFTs. So what the Vault NFTs are is a photograph, or right? So the NFT is a picture of the sneaker that you would be buying. And, but instead of them shipping you the sneaker when you buy the NFT, that NFT correlates to that pair of sneakers that's kept in StockX's vault. Mm-hmm. So they'll hold those sneakers for you. And then you don't have, because a lot of people that buy sneakers aren't buying them to wear them. They're buying them as like collector's items, uh-huh. um, especially in these kind of like high-end, um, you know, the sneaker heads. Yeah. And so that NFT correlates to that sneaker, those pair of sneakers that's in their vault. Now you can say, no, I want you to, I want you to ship me the sneakers. I want to wear them. And they'll yeah. ship you the sneakers. And then that NFT goes away. It burns or, or you can keep the NFT and sell it to other people. And now that NFT has value and it's correlated to the pair of shoes. But Nike was like, no, nah, we're not doing that because you are infringing on our intellectual property by using our brand name to drum up interest in your NFT project. And already Nike was annoyed by what StockX had been doing with its core business because Nike products made up like 80% of their sales on their sneaker platform. I don't know if that percentage is exactly right, but it was a large percentage of the StockX sales. Mm-hmm. And but I think what was protecting them originally was the for sale doctrine, right? So you can't stop somebody from reselling stuff, right? You can't be like, no, you can't sell your shoes that you bought, right? Because first doctrine allows that or for sale doctrine. 
um, but it doesn't apply to digital stuff. So they were able to say, no, you can't do that. And you're pawning off of our goodwill of our brand name. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing, so that's a real world example of how these projects, there's layers to this intellectual property stuff um, in the NFT side of things. And so business owners that are like, I don't need to worry about that. I'm not doing NFTs, not my problem. They're going to likely wake up someday and be blindsided by somebody else using their IP in the metaverse in a way that maybe they didn't want to happen. Gosh, it's like a whole different universe. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it really is. It is. It's more, I like to think of it more of as like a an enhanced extension of what we're already doing, right? Because uh-huh. if you think about it, we're already doing things elsewhere, right? Like, so when you have an online business, I'm like, where is it? Well, it's online. Online where, right? So like, it's still kind of that fluff, you know, like there, uh-huh. if there's an intangible aspect to it. Uh-huh. What NFTs does is it just allows you to more freely control what is already owned by you. So my digital assets are e- more easily controlled and exploited, monetized by me because I don't need to use third-party sites to deliver the content. So for example, right now, in order to do a transaction online, right? Mm-hmm. If I wanted somebody to buy my course, I need to host it on a site that I pay for the hosting. And then I need to deliver that content to the people and they have to pay me for it. And I have to plug in a gateway, a payment gateway. So they get a, the gateway gets a piece. The website host gets a piece. The ad people at Facebook get a piece, mm-hmm. right? And so everything has got sort of these middlemen that are owned by these people. So what happens when I don't like Facebook or Instagram or whoever I built my community on does something to limit my content and I don't like it. I can't just pick up my network and pick up my community and leave. Mm -hmm. You can do that with web three and with NFTs. And that's why this is so exciting for business owners. Wow. And it's all part of your initial strategy planning, right? You build that in. Yeah. You need to at least think about it, right? So even if you're saying, I don't want to do an NFT project, fine. You don't have to do an NFT project, but there are already resources that will allow you to build a website visual building like Squarespace where you can just drag and drop stuff that is that accesses web that has web three capabilities. So this is already happening, meaning like you just directly accept payment. You're not let me plug in my blank payment. Let me play, plug in my, you know what I mean? So that stuff is starting to go away and control is really what people want. People want to be able to say, I make the money off my intellectual property. I get to decide who sees it. I get to decide who licenses it. And, and we can do that to some degree now, but the delivery method of that content um, is, is still sort of held that, that, that the power of that delivery method is still held by these third parties that we don't control. And so that's, that's really what I like about the possibility of this technology and why I'm, I'm really kind of interested in it and following. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) The passion is overflowing there. And like you you said, even if, if the business owner doesn't care about NFTs, someone else could be using or creating NFT on their product. Right. And so you need to eyeball it, right? You need to be like, well, wait a second. Like, am I, is it, is it the same thing? Because yeah. what Nike did that was really cool was they cited in their complaint not just not just the trademarks that they had filed for their NFT projects, but also their existing trademarks. So they're saying, 
what you're doing not only infringes what we're trying to do, but it also infringes what we're currently doing. And here's why. So, so I think there's ends, um, you know, for people that are doing things in the metaverse, and this goes both ways, right? This isn't just for people who don't have any intention who should keep an eye on it, but this is also for people who want to jump into it and are like coming up with these unique ways of using intellectual property thinking, oh, it's okay. As long as I use a creative commons license and it's free to everyone who cares. Well, no, you can't step on people's IP. Like that's not, um, so evaluating that, making sure you have the assignments, making sure that you have all of the things that you need in order to roll your project out is really important because the space is becoming more and more crowded and the scams are becoming more frequent too. So establishing yourself as legitimate is really important. Mm-hmm. Okay. The question is, what if the business is not online? Yeah. If it's not online. I, so, I mean, I still, I find it very hard to believe that even brick and mortar businesses don't have some way of being online because of the pandemic, right? Like I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find any business that doesn't have some kind of online presence. Mm -hmm. Like I, I really just don't think, and, and, and those that do are super niche and are, uh, they're hyper local too. Right. So they're only serving where they are in the community and a very specific thing. And chances are they still have a website. They still have a one website. Yeah. No matter how simple it is, somewhat. Yeah. Chances are, I don't care if you were like, like I only sell donuts at this one location and that's all I do. Chances are they still have a website that you can call in advance and make an order for some uh-huh. donuts or check the hours or whatever. Like they have a Google listing. They have, right. So even yeah. if you're not online, you're online. Yeah. On Yelp or something, somewhere online. Or or sometimes people don't want to be on Yelp. I'm not on Yelp. I don't, I don't particularly like Yelp because it's pretty much like pay to play. So there's, you know, there are, again, it's like monitoring, oh, I'm not online. I don't need to worry about this stuff. Well, somebody could be making stuff up about you. Your reputation could be ruined. Like, so even if you're not online, it's still important to know what's happening online, right? That doesn't mean ignore it. Um, you know, and so I kind of look at this new tech as like, kind of like back when Google started and Amazon started and, 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 you know, people were laughing at them going, oh, this will never work. Or they only sold books, but like, don't you wish that you had invested in them when they were in the garage and now you're 500 shares of stock are worth like tons of money. Right. So, um, and so that's kind of why I, yeah, like, I think that this is important to watch because, there already are millions of use cases. This is not like, oh, only five people are doing it, right? There are millions, yeah. hundreds of millions of people. That's not a small number. Mm-hmm. I just love that, Kristen. And so before we uh, wrap up the show, um, do you have any parting words of wisdom for our local moms who own businesses and just some words of advice for them? Yeah. So for local moms that own businesses, you're doing a great job. Um, because it's hard. And there is also no right way. If you are the mom that works with your kid on your hip and you're doing, taking calls and it works for you and your family is able to live that way and be successful that way, then great. If you are like me and you have to send your kid to school because your kid demands every second of your attention all the time, um, that's okay too. It's, we're, it's not, I really don't think that we should be judging each other 
because we already get so much judgment from the world that we as moms need to just be as supportive of one another as we can be. Sounds so awesome. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank, Thank you. For you. Us. This was so Talk fun. You Thank time. you, Amy. All right, Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today on Ask Mama Amy. Head over to AskMamaAmy.com for all the show notes and links you heard in today's episode. You'll also get my free legal tool for you to name legal guardians for your children so that you can leave them with abundant resources to support them and a total peace of mind. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review to tell us why. See you next time, mamas.